I think running is quite literally the solution to all of all of life's problems. <laughs> Not running away, but running. Diz Runs Radio, episode 1166, starts in three, two. Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Hey, y'all, real quick before we dive into today's episode of the show, Be Ready on Race Day, the book I wrote a handful of years ago. It's still available. If you haven't gotten your copy yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. Maybe you're waiting for today. Maybe you're like, you know what? I've got this fall race coming up. Uh, I know I want to do well. I'm not sure exactly how to put the training together. I can't hire you, Diz, because, you know, budget, and that's fine. That makes sense. But uh, I have also finally seen the light on the fact that one-size-fits-all training plans just aren't that good. What's, What's the next option? What threads that needle? Be ready on race day. Uh, Basically, what that book is all about, what I tried to do is outline exactly what I do as a coach when it comes to putting a plan together, how I start, how I kind of look at the bigger picture to to put, you know, based on, you know, each person's individual situation, what their schedule is like, what their training is like. So you're going to look at that for yourself, kind of try to plot out uh, a realistic routine in terms of miles and and the, the build, how you want to get there, maybe most importantly, some things to consider when it's time to adjust the plan because life happens because we all know that life does indeed happen. So what I try to do is not write a plan for you, not not give you a fish, but try to teach you how to fish, how to try to teach you how to uh, put a plan together, structure it strategically, and also be willing and able to and confident to make the necessary adjustments as required so that ultimately... When race day shows up and you get to the starting line, you will actually find yourself feeling ready and confident that you're going to go out there and crush it. So if that might be something that would be useful for you, be ready on raceday.com is the website. There's a couple sample chapters there to give you a, a, a peek, peek behind the covers. No, I guess not eh, peek inside the cover. There we go. Um, certainly not a peek under the covers. That's a whole nother topic for a whole nother day. Uh, but check it out. Get yourself a copy there, or you can get one from Amazon as well. Uh, just one click it. Get yourself the print version, or of course, get yourself the Kindle version and get that instantaneously. Whatever works better for you. Uh, but search for Be Ready on Race Day on Amazon, or go through the website, be ready on raceday.com. And uh, if you have any questions on that, let me know. Happy to help. Uh, but now, without any further ado, let's go ahead and dive in to today's episode of the show. Hey, y'all. Uh, today's guest is someone that has uh, quite the laundry list of running achievements. And um, as as, may, as is probably going to be the case, we're going to leave some meat on the bones. But a few things that we might talk about today, or we'll probably talk, talk on, t- we'll probably touch on at least if I can speak today. Um, but who knows how deep we'll get into. He's got a, a 2,600 plus day running streak, um, which, you know, translates to something over seven, seven, seven plus years, seven in years in a month or two, something like that. And obviously probably going to keep that going as long as he can. So who knows what that number will get to. Uh, he's run all six major uh, marathon majors. Um, and he's got a little something else that makes that unique, which we'll probably get into as we go. 
Uh, and he's also knocking on the door of finishing 50 marathons in 50 states, um, which I believe is, is set to happen later this fall of, of 2023. Uh, so like I said, those, those three big things. There's other things that uh, are also loosely on the agenda today. And uh, I don't know exactly where we're all going to go or what all we'll, we'll get into deep and what we'll kind of just gloss over. But uh, lots of things to talk about. So let's get the party started and officially welcome uh, Ken, the hobo runner, to the show today. So thanks for joining us today, Ken. Really appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And uh, as you probably guessed, the hobo runner is not Ken's last name, but he asked for a little bit of, of privacy there. So obviously we're going to respect that. Uh, but his Instagram handle is the hobo runner, which is why we kind of went with that. And, and there's obviously a story there too, which we'll maybe get into. Uh, but if you kind of want to follow along with some of Ken's running exploits, again, Instagram, it's at the hobo runner, uh, all one word, no spaces, no underscores, no, none of that nonsense. Just at the hobo runner on Instagram, uh, disruns.com slash 1166. We'll get you back to the show notes for today. Disruns.com slash 1166 links, photos, the whole nine as per usual. And okay. just a heads up, my uh, my I'm currently in Insta jail right now. Um, my my normal my normal is very different than most people's normal, and uh, the algorithms don't seem to understand it. So they think that I was selling my uh, my my password for likes and followers when I logged in at Dallas Fort Worth Airport. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm in Insta jail, Insta jail for a couple of days. So. Forgive the silence there, but uh, yeah, they don't they don't get it. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Well, give him give him a follow, and once you start seeing him popping up, uh, you'll know that he's escaped escaped the uh, the algorithm black hole, and hopefully can can find a way to stay out of it. But uh, Ken, the way we always start off each episode of the show here, pretty simple question. Uh, sometimes it's an easy one to answer. I have a, I have a decent idea. I at least have a. a a suspicion. I don't know if it's going to be right or not in terms of what your answer might be, uh, but one way or the other, it's a good place to start the conversation. Then we just kind of take it from wherever it goes from there. And that's just to simply ask, what is your favorite distance to race and why? Well, right now it's the marathon, but um, I know me well enough to know that it's going to keep getting higher and higher. The more miles, the better is kind of where I'm at. Um, as far as the, the dis why the distance, the, I like the mental game. I like the, the, the mental challenge and, and, and just willing the body through it. And uh, once you get above that half marathon distance, there's, there's quite a bit that's beyond just simple physical prowess as to what's going on with your running. And um, as I get into the longer and longer runs, the, the mind games get to be more fun to play. Yes. Although I would maybe, I don't want to say argue, because I would agree with that. <laughs> But I would also say that the mind games get sometimes more difficult to play as well um, with, uh, with those longer distances. The challenge is the whole, the whole key of it. Nothing easy is ever worthwhile. I mean, again, you're not wrong, but uh, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mind if, if sometimes these, these marathon distances or even some of the ultra distance races, like I don't want them to be easy, but maybe just <laughs> not quite such a mental, like, like I'd like to be, I mean, not that they're not physically challenging as well, but yeah, like, like the mental, the mental piece, if that could be just a, t a tick easier and, and still be a, enough of a challenge to be satisfactory. Um, but you know, if, if everything was perfect, then, then it wouldn't be life. So let's not, let's <laughs> not, uh, get too lost in the weeds there. But, um, how'd you get uh, started in the sport? Ken, have you been, been running for, for years and years and decades? I mean, obviously seven, se a little over seven years, you know, we got a, a seven, seven plus year, uh, run streak going. So it's not like you're brand new to the sport, but how long has running been part of your life? I ran in high school. Um, I was a decent runner, not exactly the best, but I had an awesome team and fell in love with the sport. And that was what got me through 
through high school. I kind of got lazy in college. I think a lot of us do that. And um, had a wake-up call when I tried to run a marathon cold turkey and realized that I'm not 18 anymore. I need to start training. Um, that was about 11 years ago and started doing a little bit of running and things got real serious real quick when I ran Boston in 2013. And uh, at that point, running became the central element of my life. And uh, the streak was shortly thereafter that, started shortly thereafter that, although there were uh, a couple hiccups with some other uh, collisions along the way. Mm. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but yeah, for the past 10 years, running has been the the central element of my life before that it was still something that was a, a passion something I enjoyed doing but um it's taken on entirely new levels of meaning in in recent years gotcha gotcha um I'm cu I'm curious to dig into a little bit more about this this marathon on a whim no training like let's see how this goes um in part because I don't want to say that I did that that same thing with my first marathon um, because it wasn't quite like that, but it, I was, and I've told the story several times, so I'll give you the abridged version because everybody else is fast forwarding because they've already heard this, but, um, I was grossly undertrained like the week before the marathon, I did 14 miles, which was like my long, like, and not because like I was tapering back to 14 because like that was my longest run. And I was like, well, if I've gone over halfway, I can surely, you know, next weekend, um, run 26, that, that won't be a problem. Um, went into it so confident that there would be no factor. And, and I wasn't even really running during the week. So I was like one run a week long run, 14 miles. That's going to somehow translate to a, a magical 26.2 the next weekend. Um, crash burned, di you know, didn't have much of a running background. So I didn't maybe know what I didn't know, but you know, survived it, said, I'll never do that again. Dot, dot, dot. You know, here we are, however many marathons later. Um, but, but for, for you, you know, first marathon on a whim, jumping into it, let's see what happens. Um, I'm assuming by, by the fact that you said, you know, I, I'm not 18 anymore, that maybe it didn't go quite as well as planned, but, but, uh, how did, how did this first marathon on a whim kind of happen for you? So I went to Boston college, which, uh, those of you familiar with the, everybody knows the Boston marathon course, that's the top of heartbreak Hill. Mm -hmm. Um, my freshman year at BC, I went out to cheer on all the runners and it was painful because everybody that went by, all I could think was that should be me. That should be me. That should be me. 30,000 times straight. <laughs> um, so I kind of swore to myself I'd run it next year. And then, uh, well, next year it rolled around faster than I expected. And uh, before you knew it, it was April. And it's like, oh, the Boston Marathon's next week. And I haven't run all year. What am I going to do? Uh, yeah, that 18-year-old, uh, that, uh, that, that mentality of invincibility kind of kicked in. It's like, yeah. I've done half marathons. I could then I go up Heartbreak Hill, and that'll be easy because everybody I know is at the top of the hill. And once I get past BC, it's a 5K, and I could do that in my sleep. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, famous last words. <laughs> um, so yeah, I cruised through the the half marathon and the first half, and the crowd energy really got me all fired up, and um, so everything just was going great. And then I looked at how fast I was running and realized I was running a lot faster than mm. um, I really should have been. I think I was doing about a, a seven minute mile pace for the, for the first half of the race and uh, got to Wellesley. Um, running past Wellesley is always a fun part of the race. The scream tunnel is epic every time. Um, 
realized I needed to slow down a little bit, but uh, at that point it was too late. I, I did manage to get up BC, up to BC, going up Heartbreak Hill. There's no place like home. Got past BC. The last 5K, yeah, not something I could do in my sleep. 5K <laughs> after 23 miles is uh, very different than just another 5K. Um, I, I do very, very clearly remember giving it everything I had that last mile to get a whopping 16-minute pace <laughs> and then calling into work the next day saying, hey, I feel great, but uh, I can't move. Right. So if you want to wheel me into work, I'm there, but I can't get there. <laughs> um, and I paid the price, and I swore that I'd uh, train for the next year. And um, yeah, that kind of happened a couple times in a row before I – got sufficiently humbled by the distance to actually start running again. Yeah. It's, it's, um, again, I mean, there's, there's enough of an overlap here of like, um, it, it, my second marathon was a year after my first as well. I tried, I probably overtrained for that one and wound up injured. So the, 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 the finishing situation wasn't even better, but it's like, it takes, it takes a little while to kind of figure out what the right mix is and, and kind of where you are and, uh, especially if you've got a, a bit of a running background and you, you know, you, you know, you used to do X and now you're a few years later or you're a few decades later, as some cases might be. And it's like trying to, to, to circle the square or square the circle, however, however it really shakes out for you. But curious, uh, Ken, and, and I'm sure some other people are kind of trying to piece this together as well. Um, if, if I'm hearing you correctly, first marathon is Boston marathon. Like how did, how does that happen? Okay. So, uh, Times have changed, mm. so uh, don't try this at home, but once upon a time, it was a sort of local secret that you just show up and run. Um, so there were thousands of bandits every year. It was part of the Boston culture up to the year of the bombing. Mm. Um, that got shut down because of security concerns afterwards, and um, that changed. So I was not officially in the results that year um, or the year after or the year after. <laughs> um, I have since started to qualify, but for um, for many years, the only marathon I did was Boston, and I was admittedly a bit of a Boston snob with the mentality that there is no marathon other than Boston. Um, I, I've since kind of woken up to hey, there's a lot of other awesome races too, and, and the marathon itself is, is incredible. Yes, Boston is great. I love the crowd up there, but there, there's a whole lot of good races out there. I've, I've heard rumors, uh, not rumors. I mean, I've heard, I've heard stories of, of the whole, yeah, everybody just, you know, it's, 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 it's well known that, you know, it's, it's a bandit friendly race and, and obviously that is, has changed. So yeah, don't, don't try this. Don't try this these days, folks, but, uh, and 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 don't do it at other races either, because right. um, the the reality of the situation is, especially in in this day and age with security concerns, all the bling, all the permits, all the different stuff going on, your your race directors and their team put so much effort into it. And if you're going out and 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 freeloading, that's that's a problem for everybody. Um, there are there are a couple other races with very strong bandit cultures, and that's cool and all, but. If that's not part of the culture of the race, do it the right way. There's always creative ways to get involved if it's uh, if there's true financial concerns, and that's kind of been a a big deal for me finding ways to make that happen. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking forward to to getting into that a, l a little bit more as we go. But um, before we before we get to that point, 
Um, so the first first marathon humbling experience sounds like the second the, the the next couple maybe still still a little bit humbling still kind of figuring things out. Um, but but you mentioned uh, you know that that running running Boston in 2013 and and obviously for for those that were paying attention to to marathons and and running you know gosh 10 years ago now uh, that was the year of the bombing so it was it was a pretty um, I don't know I mean it, it stands out in the minds of a lot of folks a lot of runners certainly people that were there that day. Um, where were you, where were you when, I mean, I, I don't, and I don't know how deep you want to get into this. If you want to just kind of gloss over it, that's, that's a okay with me as well. Um, but, but what was your Boston 2013, I don't know, story situation? So, how did that day play out for you? The 2012 was the, the year that the, the distance truly humbled me and I did, uh, the majority of it was walking. Um, and that was my wake up call to start running. And I started running, not a real marathon training plan, but just building up a good base and going out and having fun. And I went into the 2013 marathon for the first time feeling like I was prepared, that I was ready for it. And physically I was, but the irony is that with the bombing, that was the year that I was least prepared for. Um, I had just finished the race when the bombs went off. I was at the finish line trying to take a selfie close enough to feel the shockwaves of the first blast. And um, it really messed with my head for a while, went through some some serious PTSD from it and um, completely lost the love of running for a little while. Um, some, some dark, challenging times when my lifelong passion of running has suddenly become a nightmare. Um, but it was very much a defining moment in who I am, sort of a wake-up call as to the, to my own mortality, to the reality that, you know, I, I got to stop saying, I'm going to do this someday, I want to do this one day, and, and just start living life now, because you never know what what's next. You never know how long you've got. You never know where life is going to lead you and what opportunities you're going to have and what opportunities you're not going to have. And if you don't make the most out of all of them, you don't get to go back. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, for a good year after the bombing, I was, I was not in a good spot. Um, I, we could go into that forever if, if, if you wanted, I, I kind of, I kind of blogged, well, I, didn't kind of blog about it. I, I reflected on it myself in, in, in writing. And then, um, because I got through from the help of random strangers that had no obligation to help me whatsoever, I kind of decided to do something that was very against who I was at the, t- well, how I was at the time, but is very much in line with what I've become in recent years. And, decided to wear my heart on my sleeve and I hit publish. And, um, I, I, I'll have to, I haven't done so much of my tech stuff in, in recent years, so I don't even remember what the link is for it, but I think it's on my, uh, it's on my Instagram. But, uh, if, if you or anybody is so inclined, you can get a very deep dive into what I saw and how I struggled and how I got over it. Um, there it's, I decided, like I said, I got through it with random people helping me. So it's like, if I could put, if I put this out there and it helps somebody just even just a single person, then it's worth it. But it was a, a very 
challenging period in my life. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, it's, it, and again, I mean, we don't need to, to un, unpack it too much because it's, 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 it was obviously a, a pretty defining day, but I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, and kind of like you said, or how, at least how I heard it and, and forgive me if my paraphrase is, is dramatically different than, than what you, what you said. Um, but you know, obviously running something that was so important to you and all of a sudden, like, like what the hell just happened kind of thing. And, and, and all the, the feelings and the emotions, um, how did, and obviously, you know, I mean, as we're talking now, 10 years later and seven, seven plus years of, of run streak, you know, at this point, um, obviously running is still a, a very big part and very important part of your life now, but in the, in those early days, weeks, months after, after April of 2013, did, did you jump right back into running or was kind of running part of that? I don't know. I mean, part of the PTSD of like running was part of this and associated with this. And, and was it hard to get right back into running or, or kind of how did, how did you, how did, I guess, how did that, that weeks, months, years after that play out from a running perspective for you? For the first year, especially I was doing some running, but my heart was not in it. Um, I really, really was struggling. I was, I was on my own, like really felt abandoned by everybody. You know, the first, the first month or so afterwards, everybody was there. Like it was incredibly moving how many people that I'd crossed even once in my life on the day and week of the, the bombing itself were reaching out to make sure I was okay. But as tends to be the case with most news cycles, the world moves on, but those that were most affected are still kind of stuck. Um, and after about a month of everybody, what can I do? What can I do? They'd all moved on and I was, I was struggling worse than, than before. Um, and what complicated that further was the rapidly evolving reality that the, the bandit days Mm. were gone. Um, the, the reality that that set in for me was that I'm not supposed to run next year. Oh, right. Regardless of how this affects everybody else in the world, those terrorists, those two whose names don't deserve to be spoken or even or remembered, um, had just successfully taken away the most important thing in the world to me. And it set me off on a a pretty ugly spiral. I was by myself. I was stuck. I was, uh, the, the year, the year after the one year anniversary was kind of the lowest day of my life. Um, I quite honestly, like I said, I, I was still abandoned at that time. I had, I, I was too psychologically beaten to go and run a qualifier anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, and coming up to the races, like my mentality was, I will die for this quite literally. Like I went to the start line in Hopkinton with the full expectation that if it came down to it, I would die to run that race. Mm -hmm. And, and and I'm not using that lightly. I was that that's how sad I was on it because if if they succeeded 
if the terrorists won, then I don't want to be a part of this world. Um, that was what I went into and, uh, that whole mentality. Yes, it got me through the race, but, uh, um, I, I did have one thing going for me. I had mentioned to you briefly and you had alluded to earlier, the whole, my thing for, <laughs> for the majors, um, I, Boston college school colors are maroon and gold. And I was the crazy body painted guy at football games, making a complete clown out of himself and popping up on every broadcast game everywhere and clearly heard on every radio <laughs> broadcast everywhere. And I had decided that I needed to do something that would be the epitome of college sports fandom. And, uh, Hey, run the Boston marathon in full body paint. Sounds like, uh, that's tough to, tough to do better then. So, um, <laughs> After my, my senior year at BC or my super senior year, I graduated a little bit late because I spent too much time at all the games. But um, I went out in red shorts and uh, running shoes and a whole lot of running paint and went out and rocked the marathon course, screaming and yelling at the crowd the whole way, just having a blast. And the crowd loved it. The the other runners loved it. it the the cops along the course loved it. <laughs> uh, everybody thought it was great, pretty much. Um, but uh, the media loved it too. I actually got such a response from them that what was supposed to be a one-year thing became my thing. Um, and I kept going back and doing it. And, and yeah, I was painted the, the year of the bombing and that did take away one thing that used to be fun is after the race, I'd go and I'd Google Boston Marathon Red Runner mm. and find all sorts of random pictures <laughs> and stories about, oh, this drunk guy sprinted past me, painted red. And uh, I'd kind of laugh, be like, nope, I ran the whole thing like that. Uh, not sure if that's better or worse. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, but yeah, so that was my thing. And it had been established enough at that point that the year of the bombing or the year after the bombing, when they had gotten rid of the bandit culture for security reasons because that's that was the mm -hmm. reasoning for it. it makes perfect sense we need to know who's on the course right. at that point everybody there the cops especially they didn't know my name but they're like i could tell you exactly what that guy is going to do for the next three or four hours mm -hmm. there was and it's not like i had any place to hide anything <laughs> <laughs> so um i had Planned to run in 2014, and and um, no, it wasn't the norm anymore. But it's something that I had to do. I could not let the terrorists win. It was it was that simple in my mind. It's like I was going to show up, and everybody that I knew was giving me grief about. Oh, you don't need to do that Boston will be fine and it's like no me running it is not for Boston me running is what I need mm -hmm. it is literally the only thing that I need to be able to to move forward from from that whole ordeal um, so everybody's trying to talk me out of it or at the very least if I'm not going to do it they're going to they're like don't do the body paint you'll stick out like a sore thumb it's like if I'm not going to be me then I'm going to die trying. Right. And I, I really was of the mindset that if I went up there and 
went and ran the course and they said something about it to me. The cop said something about it to me. I was like, I can't let the terrorists win. If you have to stop me, then so be it. Mm-hmm. And was psychologically prepared for a beatdown if that came to it. <laughs> because I was not going to stop unless I was physically forced to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was so worried about that, that for the whole weekend leading up to the race, that was, that consumed me. Like I didn't eat, I didn't sleep, I didn't do anything. And except steal myself to the reality that this is it, whether I like it or not. I'm I'm going to go out, I'm going to do this. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about this. I will run Boston or I will die trying. Um and then um I got to the starting line and uh there was a, a police officer there who said, hey, you running this year? <laughs> and uh, they had my back. Mm. And so I got to go out and do what I needed to do. And um, it was incredible, except that whole not eating for right. three days and only a couple hours of sleep for three days. I got to mile 16 and my body shut down. And the last 10 miles was absolute torture, Mm. but I willed myself through it. And the, the, the flip side of that, unfortunately, was that I didn't enjoy it. And what I needed after the bombing was to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Um, so that put me in a really bad spot that that's something I wrote in depth about on, on my blog. Um, and I was stuck in that spot for a while. Um, it wasn't until, what was it, probably four months after that, that, um, that I fell in, fell in love with life again. And the, the identity that I, I, I've embraced in recent years really started to, to emerge and, and the, the PTSD became a, been there, done that. I ain't never going back. <laughs> Um, but it was the the year after was by far the hardest part for me because I was alone. I was very clearly not welcome. Um, but I couldn't let the bad guys win. Right. Right. Well, glad that that, um, glad that you had enough of a track record as the painted guy to to make that day go as, as smoothly as it did, even if. Uh, you know, coming right out of that wasn't it wasn't the day that you really needed. Um, it, it took it helped you take the next step and the next step. And, uh, you know, that that kind of became the the, the body paint thing um, for, for the majors, at least kind of became your thing. And and, uh, you know, like we said in the intro, at least kind of tease that a little bit. You've done all all six marathon majors. You've got your you've got your six stars now, each of them done with with body paint on. When did when did you decide to kind of go like all right well Boston like I run Boston as the BC the BC college guy um, let me let me paint up to to run these other majors when when did you kind of decide to to put those those two um, I don't know two pieces of the coin yeah. or whatever when did you decide to, to to pair the painting and the majors together so even after the the bombing for several years, I still maintained that Boston snobbery is shame on me. <laughs> Don't do it. It's not cool. Um, the, um, 
It wasn't until 2018 that I ran my first marathon that was not named Boston. Mm. And uh, that was actually just over five years ago now at, at the Cleveland Marathon. I, I realized that the, um, the bandit culture at Boston was gone, and I, I recognized that just because I can doesn't mean I should. Right. Um, that it was fine when it was part of the culture, but just because the cops knew me or knew of me and I was not a threat and they knew that and there were enough people along the course who were supportive of me like one of the coolest things is just realizing that there are people legitimately looking for me every year like it's one of the biggest races in in the world and I've got fans (laughs) (laughs) that that was a very cool realization um but in 2018 I kind of realized I gotta I gotta suck it up I gotta run another race I'll get myself my Boston qualifier I was confident in my abilities do it on my first attempt and my mindset was I will run Cleveland qualify for Boston and then every year after that I'll re-qualify at Boston um I had no intention of ever running any other marathon other than Cleveland, which was expected to be a necessary evil. Mm-hmm. But I went up to Cleveland. I had an awesome time. And it blew my mind. It was like, wait a second. Boston's, well, not, the, <laughs> Boston's not the only fun marathon. Like there's other places that I could have this, this type of energy and this vibe and this, this whole marathon thing it's not it's not unique to boston yes boston's got something special the history there mm-hmm. there but i had such an awesome time at cleveland it was like that just opened a world of possibilities and i just started doing as many as i can um when i got to that point well if i'm gonna do as many as i can i might as well do the majors mm-hmm. um so i got myself into all of the majors in 2019 except for Tokyo and that was by intent because my mindset was still Boston first um I was going to do Tokyo 2020 so I was going to do all six majors in a one-year period not one calendar year Mm -hmm. but it was going to start and end with Boston because Boston was Boston um so I signed up for all I got myself into all six majors and um for for London, I had gone the charity route. Um, I ran for action on hearing loss. Um, and I was debating, well, okay. There was no debate as to whether I was going to be painted. That was my thing. <laughs> um, it's like, there's, yeah, there's thousands of people that have run all six majors, but how many of them done it, have done it in full body paint? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm the only one that's even had that thought cross my mind. Um, so for London, the big question is, all right, should I go with the BC colors or should I do something different for the different majors? And um, I decided, fine, I'm going to, it's like, you know, running in BC colors in London doesn't mean anything to anybody. Right. So I'm going to do, do something unique for each of the majors as sort of a, a tribute to the to the hosting race, uh, in, the hosting community in some way, shape or form. Um, so for London, it was pretty simple. I'm going to be running for this charity. I'm going to run the charity's colors. Mm. Now I hadn't really paid much attention to that until I 
committed myself to that. And then I went to their website and was like, all right, I'm painting myself purple and pink. <laughs> <laughs> not, not my choice of colors, but I said I was going to do it. I'm going to do it. So I painted myself purple with um, the pink action on hearing loss logo on my chest. And, and another thing that's been uh, almost uh, – that's 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 been a part of my my body paint from B, the BC days. It's always a cross on my face. So with the with Boston, it's a gold cross on on red background. So for London, I kept that, um, and I did a pink cross with a purple background, and then the the pink logo on my chest. The logo looked like a, a sort of a Wi-Fi symbol at an angle. So as I'm running the race, I'm hearing it's Wi-Fi man. <laughs> <laughs> and what what absolutely amazed me, and this is something that that's incredible about the culture of the London Marathon. If, if you ever get anybody listening here, you get the chance to run London, you gotta do it. It's something special. Um, I'm running like a 3:10 marathon, party pace, having fun, stopping and talking to people, just still doing a solid pace. Mm-hmm. But uh. As I'm running by, I hear several times, look, another purple guy. I wasn't even the fastest purple painted guy in London Marathon. <laughs> like, talk about a small division. <laughs> I wasn't even the fastest purple guy in London. But that's, that's the London Marathon experience. It's, it's, it's something else. So that was, that was London. Um, I did um, Berlin. I did the the German flag color, so I went with a yellow base, uh, red cross on my face, and a black German eagle on my chest. That was pretty intricate artwork. I was yeah. impressed that I made it, made it work out as well as I did. Um, it was a rainy day, so it did it did run a little bit, but it still I used high quality paint, so it still stayed on quite well to the end. Uh, Chicago was. Um, a tribute to the ad that the Chicago paper took out a full page ad that came out the day after the Boston marathon bombing that really, really struck a chord with me. I'm a, I'm a diehard sports fan, Boston through and through. Um, and right after the, the marathon bombing, there was a, a full page ad in the Chicago paper that said Chicago Red Sox, Chicago Patriots, Chicago Bruins. Like it just went down the list of, all the Boston sports teams, Chicago, um, very much a statement that, that, yeah, we've got our sports rivalries, but there's bigger things and we're all in this together and, and, and we're with you, Boston. So my Chicago outfit was a sort of a tribute to that. I went with the, the base colors of the Boston marathon, blue, blue base, yellow cross, um, and use and use some red to paint three stars on my chest along a slight stripe that was not painted at all. So basically, my chest was a big giant Chicago flag, right. um, and and my costume was primarily Boston Marathon colors, um, and that was that was my thing there. Um, not it wasn't the best uh, the best artwork I did, but. The intent was there. Um, the inadvertent thing that I didn't realize at the time was I was uh, 
an inadvertent Swede during that race. <laughs> right. So I'm running the race and I hear go Sweden, go Sweden. And after a little while, it's, oh, they're talking to me. Oh yeah. There's a Swedish flag. So that was Chicago. And then uh, let's see. So that's three. The, what is the, so the next Boston, London, Berlin, Chicago, New York, um, New York was the, the next one up. And, uh, there, there's there, there's lots of layers to that one. I went with green and uh, and white as my colors. There, the the green is is staying. The the white is in question right now. I'm I'm debating some possible changes to my annual New York run. Um, but the the I wore the same purple shorts I had from London. Uh, so the the green with the purple shorts is sort of an incredible Hulk thing, which. Mm. Um, Back in high school, that was sort of my nickname because I was a lot stronger than most of the runners. <laughs> and I'm kind of trying to get. It's like I need to get ripped again. It's been a while. Um, but so I, I went with the the green paint, the white cross, and on my chest I did a rendition of the Statue of Liberty. Mm. And the New Yorkers ate it up. <laughs> I got Mr. Liberty the whole race. So when I went back and did New York last year and again when I do it this year and every year going forward, uh, I'm, I'm owning the Mr. Liberty thing. Um, I'm debating whether I should change – I'm actually debating whether I should stick with the purple shorts or get green shorts and just all in green <laughs> right. um, and whether I should keep the white or change the color potentially to orange because the NYRR has – kind of embraced orange as their color for that race. Mm. Um, and, and since a large part of the costume is supposed to be a tribute to, you know, the community that's putting it on, I think that I might see how green and orange would look. I'm debating getting myself some sort of little crown prop or torch prop just to, to, to really embrace that, that Mr. Liberty thing. Um, but I, I'll definitely be doing something along that lines. And then there's the little tidbit that the New Yorkers don't recognize and certainly wouldn't appreciate, but uh, as a Bostonian, <laughs> um, the green is also the green monster. Ah, there you go. <laughs> that, that, that famous wall at Fenway is like, I love the New York City Marathon. That is the greatest block party in the world. But you will not catch me rooting for the Yankees. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there's some lines that you just can't cross, right. and that's, that's so, clearly one of them. So I'm rocking the green monster through New York every year. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, and then I was supposed to do Tokyo in 2020, and I was going to do that basically as a giant Japanese flag, mm. red cross, white base, red dot on my chest. Um, that was my first COVID cancellation. I was That got derailed for several years, and I finally finished that off this year in, in March and got my six star and have now done all six of them painted. Um, I did a variation on my Boston costume in 2021 um, because it was a uh, fall race rather than the traditional spring date. And um, I, a lot of people don't realize this, but the significance of the date of the Boston Marathon is honoring the first bloodshed of the American Revolution. Mm -hmm. Patriots Day is celebrated in Massachusetts and most of the rest of the country does not celebrate it, but it was to honor the, the first battles of, of the American revolution and, um, the move to 
September is like, it's not the same. So I inverse my colors. And in, in 2021, um, I did gold base with a, with a red cross and little red, uh, footprints on my chest. Um, and paw prints too. Um, the significance of that day was that actually happened to be world mental health day. Um, or something along that lines to, to bring awareness to, to mental health issues. And so the, the, the concept for that particular painting was, uh, the footsteps in the sand. Um, and my little footsteps in the sand is like, yeah, it's not just me being carried. It's got little paw prints padding along next to it because I got my little furry family that's always had my back. Mm-hmm. So that was my gold. And now I'm debating. It's like, all right, what am I going to do when the other majors get added? I'm, I'm running out of colors. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you, 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 you know, I guess, I guess, like you said, you know, you can always be tweaking, always be adjusting different things mm-hmm. with, the, with the paint. Have you painted for any non-majors or is it, is it just a major thing for you? Oh, that, that's just a major thing. Okay. I, I, I would do it if it weren't for the time right involved like it's a good hour to get that on right and then several hours to get it off yeah yeah um because i use a a high-end stage paint that withstands everything Yeah, because you're gonna be sweating (laughs) and stuff it's gonna be a mess if you don't Uh, so you got to do the good stuff yeah so it's it's a challenge like i spend far more time putting the paint on and off than i do running the race <laughs> well and, it's good to make it a special occasion thing then for, yeah. for just the majors and so with with boston and new york i intend to keep doing that every year um the other ones are, are logistic the, the logistics are, are too much i can't do that every year right no that makes sense that makes sense uh, speaking of logistics, and and before we we run out of time today, um, is like I said at the beginning, we're you know there's a lot of things to talk about, and maybe we'll try to do this again at some point and dig into some of the other other topics that we're not gonna maybe have time to get into too deep today. Um, but you know, one thing that I know a lot of folks, myself included, um, have goals of of running races that involve a lot of travel. I, I want to get into the like you know I'm I'm like 11 states into 50 states or 12 states, something like that. So I've still got some ways to go, but you know it's it's something that I'm trying to chip away at a little bit uh, somewhat regularly. Uh, but for me, and you know, for a lot of folks, some of the logistics of travel and the expenses of, you know, is it just me? Is it going? Is it is it my wife and I? Is it the, f- the whole family? Whatever it is. But like, you know, the the costs of traveling, shoot, traveling across the state, across the, you know, just a couple hours away can be a little bit substantial. But you start adding in flights and all this whole nine nine yards, it gets to be a big deal. Um, and you've kind of you know done a pretty decent job, near as I can tell, of. Um, you know, kind of adopting this hobo runner mindset of, of like, how could, you know, you still got to, there's still some costs, I'm sure, but like, how can I do this as cost effectively uh, as possible? So I'm just kind of curious, you know, what are, what are some of the things that you've done or some of the, the ways you figured out to, to get all these races in? And, and uh, I mean, I think I saw somewhere like hundred, hundred marathons ish uh, you've done. So you've, you've done, done quite a few. Um, how, how, you, how do you kind of do it on somewhat of a budget? So yeah, it's it's been about almost 100 marathons since Cleveland five years ago. So it's almost 100 in the past five years, um, and so the the shoestring, absolute next to nothing budget was sort of a, a necessity thing. Um, we we can always touch on this, go into details on that another time. But five years ago or sorry, seven years, almost eight years ago at this point, man, time goes by fast. Um, I was cycling in Miami and got mowed down by mm. 
a drunk, distracted, or a homicidal driver, and the brain injury from that cost me my business and my home. Um, still dealing with some significant health issues from that, although it's been getting a lot better in, in the past couple of years, which is wonderful. Um, but having lost my business and having lost my home, it's like, all right, I could cry about everything I lost, or I can celebrate what I still got, and I could still run. Mm-hmm. Um, so my response was pretty much, I'm free. Freedom is just another world word for nothing left to lose, right? Um, and I put up my thumb, and I started hitchhiking to races. Um, and I was pretty much effectively homeless for a little while. Um, so the concept of sleeping in a ditch on the side of the road, been there, done that. Um, frequently will have my hammock sometimes if it's cold, a tent, and hitchhike to a race, string up a hammock in a little patch of trees somewhere on the side after dark that nobody's going to see me, wake up in the morning, go and run the race. Um, I swallowed my pride and reached out to some race directors and said, here's the deal. I got no money, but I have all the time in the world. What can I do? Mm. And would work packet pickup, course marking, course breakdown, post-race food and medals, uh, started pacing, anything that the race director can use me for to earn my keep. Like I was saying before, as far as the whole bandit thing, I have never and will never banded any race other than Boston. Mm. And so I needed to find ways without having income, because I had zero income for a good while, uh, literally zero. Um, I had to find ways to do what I wanted to do without spending any money and thumbing my way there and sleeping on the side of the road and working my way into the race meant I can do everything for zero. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to be quasi homeless, serial racing is a great way to do it. I got all the clothes I need. Shirts, jackets, socks, like man, they had everything. <laughs> um, and then there was always food. So it covered essentials. And I learned very quickly to well, comfort zone disappeared. And that's what I've been saying in recent years, life begins where your comfort zone ends. Like I've had some nights that were, were rough. There was, you know, one particular night where it was so cold that I knew I could not go to sleep because if I did, I would freeze. So I just rolled around in my sleeping bag all night and then crawled out in the morning and went and ran a marathon. (laughs) Um, there were, there were some, some rough nights involved, but there were also some incredibly amazing nights, like camping out on, on, on beaches in various different places, waking up and seeing the sunrise and cause I had to be up before the sun came up so I can clear out my little spot and, and, and get to where I was going. Um, so the, the concept of comfort kind of got thrown out the window and in order to to make what I wanted to happen it required me to deal with whatever happened and one of the other things that I think was was essential to to the choice to start doing the hobo runner thing was the concept that I couldn't do what I wanted to do without the help of random strangers um, with the whole hit and run thing, the driver who hit me fled the scene, um, ended up 
not being held responsible in any way, shape, or form for for what she did to me. Um, and the whole situation got covered up because it's bad for tourism down there and or whatever. Um, but I ended up legally barred from any compensation for 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 what happened to me. Um, and so it's like I, I I'd had my old life destroyed by all of the evils in our world and made a conscious decision that no, there is more good than bad. And I'm going to, going to build my new life. Cause that was the reality. It was, it was a fresh start when I lost my place, when I lost my business, it was a fresh start. I'm going to build my new life on the, the fundamental belief that deep down inside we are good. Mm-hmm. And marathons are a great place to see that everybody helping each other and, and the supportiveness of, of, what we're capable of when we work together. And I wanted to expand on that. And it was also kind of necessary for getting to races. So it's like, yeah, hitching, hitching there. And, um, so yeah, most of what I've done has been on, if I go on a a marathon weekend and I spend 20 bucks, I get frustrated. (laughs) (laughs) So as I usually I'll, I'll take off and I'll have, but by no coincidence, twenty six dollars and change in my pocket. Mm. <laughs> Got to have the little marathon shout out even there. It's like twenty six dollars and change. Yep. Um, but yeah, so that that's allowed me to go all sorts of places, meet all sorts of amazing people. The the experiences, the the stories, like I could go on forever. The the plan is to, I think it's good book material, and that's that's sort of the plan. Um, the hobo runner coming. I don't know when, but <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's been an adventure. I was just going to say, let me just tell you, you know, if you got, if you got a book, do it because I've, I've been pretending to work on a book for like four years now, my second book. And, uh, yeah, like it doesn't, it doesn't just write itself, I guess yeah. is, is the moral of that story. But, uh, you know, when, when, when certainly, um, you know, as we're getting kind of close to wrapping up, uh, I would love to, to continue the conversation at some point, but certainly when the book is done, you know, Come on back. Yeah. We'll, we'll show the book and we'll share a few stories from the book and hopefully sell a few copies of the book as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, between shoot, like just running a hundred marathons or just about a hundred <laughs> marathons, knocking off 50 States here before too much longer. I mean, there's stories there, but add, add the whole hitchhiking scene and the kind of hobo, hobo running, uh, hobo lifestyle there for a while. Um, yeah. I use stories for days. No, no doubt about it. Yeah. October on the 50 state thing, October 14th, Baltimore run festival will be 50 estate. So come party with me there. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Might almost require a, you know, a little paint job, especially the Maryland, Maryland flag, uh, paint yourself up like that. I mean, you know what I'm it's, saying? It's, it's, it's too much work and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm pacing too. So I, I mo- my preferred way to do it is pacing. I love helping other people get their PRs and, and hit their goals. And especially if it's getting that first BQ or NYQ, like, those are fun things to be part of. So that most most races, that's the the, the primary focus is, is is nailing whatever the the target pace that I'm that I'm put at. Yeah. Um, so there won't be any painting for Baltimore. Just just the majors, just Boston, New York, and whatever whatever new majors come out, I'll have to to figure out something for them. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. And and yeah, pacing, there's a whole other thing that I would have loved to, to dive into a little bit more. Again, I will have to do this again. Like there's, 
there's so much left that we barely even scratch the surface <laughs> on that we'll have to make a point to do this again. But uh, one one last question for you, Ken, before we get you out of here. And, and it's kind of like the introductory question in terms of, I call it a philosophical question, but it's just something that's very open-ended. You can kind of take it uh, wherever you want to go. And, and you kind of got into it, uh, at least some some levels of philosophy with, uh, you know, just the, the good and, and, and choosing to, to see the good. And, and certainly uh, I feel like around a marathon, um, like, I don't know. There's a, there's a quote that somebody said, and I'm going to forgive me for butchering it, but you know, basically like if you ever question the, the goodness of humanity, you know, go spectate a marathon and, and you just see uh, how much good is out there. But um, kind of, kind of curious, you know, in, in the last, you know, five, maybe since, since the run streak started, um, if, if there's been anything that, that, uh, well, actually, no, I'm going to, I'm going to rephrase this. Or I'm going to go to a different question. Um, what does being a runner mean to you? You know, you like obviously running has been a big part of your life, uh, been some ups, been some downs, but you started started in high school, continuing on now. Uh, maybe running is even a, a different level of importance. But just, you know, when, when, when you think about running, uh, what, does, what does it give to you? What, what does it mean to you? Uh, like I said, very open-ended. You can kind of answer it however you want. But, but what, do, what do you think that, that running signifies for, for you in, in your life right now? We'll have to try to keep that somewhat short. Okay. I, I, was a, I was a philosophy major, so it could go for, oh, for hours. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> But uh, I, I think motion is life. You know, if you're not growing, you're dying. And 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 running is um, running is constant motion. Running is constant self evolution, self advancement, self improvement. It's you know just that simple simple act over and over and over again, and seeing how much it can change every dynamic of someone's life um i I know for me like it's it got me through depression when i was a kid it got me through ptsd when i was dealing with the marathon bombing it's been getting me through traumatic brain injuries since i got hit it's you know the, the the simple constant has been forward progress and for a while my one of my mantras was left foot right foot face plant is still forward progress because with the brain injury i would just randomly fall and as long as I got back up and kept moving, it was still forward progress. And and I think running is at its core one of the most natural things for us. And as simple as it may be, the the effects that it has are profound. The 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 way, especially when you get to these longer distances like a marathon, the first time someone finishes a marathon, the mindset changes that that affects and how that reverberates through the rest of their life and everything else that they're doing. Um, I think running is quite literally the solution to all of all of life's problems, <laughs> not running away, but running. Right. Um, and just the, it's, it's simultaneously both a very individual personal thing and a very communal thing. It's it's both at the same time, and it, it's just amazing how it, how it all works like that. But quite simply, in 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 my mindset, running is life. But yeah, I could I can go into that for forever, but I don't I don't think we got time for that right now. Yeah, we'll we'll dig into a little more <laughs> philosophy a little bit earlier uh, than on, on round two uh, for sure. But uh, I I feel like there's there's so much that we that we haven't gotten into i mean probably not even scratched the surface of let alone really dug it dug into that uh, uh I'm, I'm already looking forward to doing this again but uh until then y'all if you want to follow along with uh with ken and his adventures and his 50th state coming up you know in another couple few months 
Um, assuming he ever gets out of Instagram jail, assuming Zuck sets, sets him loose one of these days. Well, even, uh, even if he doesn't, I, I've got the domain name. So I, I got a, I had a website up for a while, but in the, uh, the transient years wasn't really maintaining it. So I got to fix that up and get that going back up. But the hoborunner.com will be functional in the not too distant future. So even if, uh, Maida doesn't want to want to let me play in their, their sandbox, I got my own. <laughs> yeah, one way or the other. Look for the Hobo Runner on Instagram. Look for the HoboRunner.com once once that gets up and going here, hopefully soon. And of course, uh, Dizruns.com/slash/1166 will have links to links to the Instagram for sure. Uh, once the website's live, we'll we'll link there as well. Or once he's got it back up and going, once Ken has it going, we'll we'll link back up there. But um, lots of lots of good stuff. Lots of good inspiration. Um, and uh, Ken, I just appreciate you taking the time today. It's, it's a, a pleasure getting to chat with you, getting to know you a little bit. And, and like I said, I'm already already excited for round two, but we'll let, we'll let people digest this one a little bit. We'll let you pick up a few more stories to share. Uh, and then some, somewhere along the line, we'll, we'll circle back and do this again. But in, until then, my friend, thanks for the, the time today. I really appreciate it. And uh, nothing but the best to you going forward. Sounds great. Looking forward to another run. All right, y'all. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode of the show. Hope you enjoyed the conversation between Ken and myself. And as per usual, be curious to know what stood out to you from today's episode. What was your uh, takeaway du jour? Du jour. Uh, for me, it was it was relatively early in the, the conversation. And Ken was talking about um, basically living life in the present and, and taking advantage of opportunities because you, you can't go back in time, right? None of us can go back to yesterday or last week or last month or last year or 20 years ago or whatever the case might be and, you know, do things differently, right? The past is in the past. And quite honestly, this is something that I struggle with um, because it's, it's a part of me, a big part of me is, you know, all about kind of planning for the future and preparing for the future, but we're not promised the future, which was I, which was the point that Ken was was making when this came up in the conversation. And you know, you, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You don't know what next week and next month is going to bring. And so, just like we can't go go back in time to do things, we don't know that to, you know tomorrow is never promised. And I think that that to me, and this is you know, this is my takeaway, and, and and something that I've been wrestling with since since we had this conversation, and quite frankly, something that I've been wrestling with for years is trying to strike that balance of preparing for the future, but a future that's that's not promised, while also maximizing the present. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, go back to Aesop's fable, and it's the ant and the grasshopper, and it's and it's how much do you want to prepare, but how much do you also want to not just be living so much in, in the in the future that you forget to live in the present? And and I don't know what the right balance is, and I don't I don't know um that there is a right balance and maybe it's, maybe it's like any type of balance where it's constantly changing. And right now, you know, in this, in this season, it's, it's a little bit heavier towards living in the now and in the next season, it's a little bit more in, in preparing for the future. Um, but it's, it was just a good reminder for me to, to not be maybe as, as all in on the future and worrying about next week and next month and next year and five years from now and 10 years from now and the 20 year plan. Um, which and again, not that it's bad to be having some some thoughts towards the future, but maybe you know, instead of worrying about qualifying for Boston when I'm ten years older and and a little bit faster, um, you know, maybe throw down now, see what happens. Maybe I can qualify now. Maybe when I'm forty five, you know, I mean, who knows? Don't know until we go for it. Don't know until maybe we we stop living till I stop living so much for the future, and maybe to live just a little bit more for the here and now. I don't know. Something that, like I said, I've been struggling with for a while. I'll probably continue to struggle with it, wrestle with it. Who knows where I'll end up? But it, it was a good, a good little. Oh yeah, 
that's yeah, I can relate to that. And uh, been thinking about it a lot since we recorded. So something that uh, definitely is rattling around in my brain is as a as a good solid takeaway of of finding maybe a little bit more balance of living now versus always living for the future. But anyway, that was me. What about you? What stood out to you from today's episode? Episode. What was your takeaway? If you're willing to share it, you know what I'm about to say. I'd love to hear it. At Dizruns on Twitter, at Dizruns on Instagram, Dizruns at gmail.com if you'd rather send an email. And of course, if you want to head over to the show notes for today, photos, links, the whole nine as per usual, and the cursors that comment section down there at the bottom. Dizruns.com slash 1166 will get you there. Feel free to share your takeaway to your little heart's content in whatever method works best for you. One last call for the book today. You know, I'll keep reminding you about it every month or so, but Be Ready on Race Day is available. If you want some help putting a plan together, maybe you get one of those one-size-fits-all plans, but then, you know, take it's like it's like buying something off the rack and then taking it to the uh, to the to the tailor, get it adjusted, and you just become the tailor. You know, you get that that one-size-fits-all plan, tweak it, adjust it, customize it, make it your own. Not sure how to do that? Be Ready on Race Day can help you with that. So check it out be ready on com or just go right to the Amazon and uh, get it that way. Just search for Be Ready on Race Day. Should pop up. Order it. Get it. Use it. Uh, hopefully find it to be very helpful. And it's something that you can continue to go back to race after race after race. So check it out. Be ready on racedaycom And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up, y'all. Thanks for the time. Thanks for the attention. Thanks for taking Ken and I with you today. And until next time, y'all, be well. Take good care. Thanks again for listening. And uh, we'll talk soon, all right? Later, y'all.